The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, and we've got a great show for you tonight because we're going to be talking about haunted locations. This is our special feature that we do now every Wednesday night. It's called History Behind the Haunt, where we take a look at haunted locations that have a reported haunted history, and we focus on the history part of that story. What was the place about? What was it used for? Why was it built? When was it built? You know, those types of questions we answer in this particular segment. Yeah, we will talk about the paranormal activity, but once we know the history, the paranormal activity starts to make more sense at times. And tonight we're going to be featuring a friend of mine, Sharon Coyle, who owns a place known as Rolling Hills Asylum. If you've seen paranormal reality television any time in the last 15 years, you probably have seen an episode of one of the many shows that has been filmed at Rolling Hills Asylum. It's a great place. I've got a personal affinity for it as well because I had some pretty interesting experiences when I visited on a couple of occasions, actually. Go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is the core of our online community. That's where we have our live chat room. We stream the show live there every night. Plus, there's an archive of back episodes that goes back a couple of years. It's like 500 back episodes there. Just go to YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson. When you find it, please subscribe. That's all I ask. It's free. There's nothing you have to do. Just hit the subscribe button. Of course, if you hit the notification icon, then you'll be alerted when we go live or when we upload new content. That's always helpful as well. Look us up on Facebook, Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook, and look my page up as well, J.V. Johnson. Follow us, like us, do all those things that social media asks you to do. We appreciate that as well. All right, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll bring in our guest for the evening. Again, we're talking about the history behind the haunt. Rolling Hills Asylum, with the owner of that facility, Sharon Coyle, right here on Beyond Reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We really, really enjoy this particular segment. It's rather rather new to the show. But uh, History Behind the Haunt gives us an opportunity to look at locations that have a reported uh, haunted uh, history, uh, a reputation of paranormal activity, and kind of learn about the place itself. We often see the uh, hints of the activity on uh, paranormal reality television. We, we talk about those things on this show as well. But we don't often get an opportunity to really talk about the facility, the site, the place. And that's what this segment is all about. And we're excited tonight to talk about what I think is one of the premier paranormal locations in the country, uh, located in upstate New York, of course. It's Rolling Hills Asylum, and we've got the owner of Rolling Hills Asylum with us, Sharon Coyle. Sharon, Sharon welcome to uh, Beyond Reality. It's really great to have you here to talk about this tonight. Oh, great. Thank you for having me on. So for somebody who may not have, somebody who's been living in a cave for the last 15 years may not have heard of Rolling Hills Asylum or any of the activity that goes on there. Just give us a, you know, a quick overview of what Rolling Hills is. Sure. Uh, It was part of the Genesee County um, 
system for uh, kind of like helping people in the 1800s. It was built as the Genesee County Poorhouse in 1827. And it has widows and orphans and drunkards and mentally and physically disabled people and Civil War veterans and so forth. And it was a self-sustainable um, facility for like 110, 15 years without any changes. And then in the 1930s, they decided they needed a full-on hospital out here, so they added the Genesee County Infirmary in 1938. And then another change happened in uh, around 1957 or 58. They built the Long East Wing because the, the men's dorm burnt down, so they built another uh, more modern facility for the men's dormitory in 58. And then in 64, 1964, it became the Genesee County Nursing Home. And then they closed this down in 1974 as a county facility and the place I empty for 10 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there were uh, three private owners prior to me having different types of facilities out here, an antique mall and a craft mall, a living museum, a country museum, um, and so forth. And then I bought it in 2010. And that's just a synopsis. I mean, we can we can focus in on more of each individual time frames as we go here. Yeah, and we certainly will. And I find it interesting. I mean, I don't think most people understand because it was really a bygone era that in the 19th century into the early 20th century, uh, most, I guess, counties really were responsible for this, um, had a what they would call a poorhouse, where they would put indigents, where they would put people that either couldn't afford to support themselves or had some type of uh, disability. And uh, they, instead of um, uh, supporting them to live on their own, they would gather them into these facilities. And that's what we're talking about here with Rolling Hills. That was its genesis, right? Exactly. And it, and it could be for a number of reasons that you came out here. Uh, even women back in the day, you weren't allowed to own land on your own. I mean, if you know anything about their early, you know, 17, 1800s, a lot of times women couldn't even go beyond elementary school. Wow. I mean, you, you really had no rights at all. And so if you were married and your husband passed away in a farming accident or in a war, and you had no male figure in your world, a, a father, a brother, an uncle, or somebody to come and help you run your farm. The, the county basically thought you were, you were incompetent, and they would come and say, you know, I'm really sorry for your lost man, but you have to pack a bag for you and your children. We're absorbing your land. So a lot of times that's how come widows and orphans ended up out here, um, because they just the county would take back your land. It was just really pretty bizarre actually yeah and we don't think of it in those terms we just think that uh, that of being you know completely unacceptable obviously uh but it was the way of life so these people would be congregated into a facility uh would they be given their own rooms how did that work no, it wasn't like a luxurious resort or anything. You'd be in um, with many other people, depending on the size of the room and, and how many people were were coming to the facility at that particular era. You could be in the room with, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight other wow. people. Um, you could be in the room with someone that had um, tuberculosis, um, that were mentally unstable. They didn't really segregate people very well. So before we get much more into this, tell me exactly where Rolling Hills is. Now, I know I've been there many, many times, but for, for folks that might be trying to get a sense of where we are geographically, explain it. Um, we're about 45 minutes right in between Buffalo and Rochester, New York. We're right smack in the middle. We're 15 minutes from Batavia. Um, it seems like it's kind of far from everything, but we're really not. We're very centrally located. It just happens to be that once you get off, the main road onto a regular, like a country road, a back road, um, 
it's just it's all farmland, so it looks like it's really far, but it's six minutes from uh, six miles from a major road. It's really just right down a regular road. Yeah, it's kind of a hidden gem. Uh, it's you know it does it when you're there, you seem like you're in the middle of you know God's country, um, but yet you really aren't really that far from anything. No, we actually border the Genesee County Park, and we're three minutes from a state park. I mean, we're really very well located. Um, and what's really interesting, I, we haven't even touched upon that yet, but the, the county park, all of that land was originally part of our Genesee County Poorhouse land. So that that park became in existence um, as the county started to absorb our land and shrink the poorhouse land, the poor farm land, and it became the Genesee County Park. So as they started to house people here, and you said it was built in 1827 and it was self-sustaining, were those people expected to work uh, to earn their keep? Oh, absolutely. Everyone that was able to had to work the farm. And that meant if you could pick a crop or milk a cow or fold some clothes, or even if you could only sweep the floor or polish a doorknob or something, you had to work the farm. And actually, it was kind of smart because it kept kept people occupied. Sure. It gave them something to do. It made them feel like they were contributing to living out here. You know, as they used to say, idle hands is the devil's work. So, you know, if you were busy working and, and doing something, it kept you occupied. And it really helped kept the cost down and kept everyone, you know, going forward in a direction where you're instead of sitting in a room, rocking in a rocking chair and just letting your mind wander and become more and more depressed and, and into a dark hole. They've got you out there working the farm. And at what point did it have its highest occupancy or give me an approximation of how many people were housed in there at any given time? It, it varied. I mean, I've seen different numbers. The problem is the records are so sparse on this property. We had a lot of gas explosions and fires out here, and the county lost records and all the different changes of hands of the private owners. So records are kind of sparse, believe it or not. Um, I've, I've seen anything from 80 people to 140 people. Wow. Which I, doesn't sound like a lot. No. It doesn't really sound like a lot. So I think there might have even been more. It's just really hard to say. I mean, I've even seen census records where over the course of five years, People have shown up and then not been here in the census records and then shown up again. And I think oftentimes people were out working in the field. And so yeah. they, they weren't there when the census were the census takers were even showing up here. It's really hard to get a really solid number, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, odd to think that, you know, government records could be that sporadic, but they are. And in fact, I was a county legislator in my home county of Otsego County, also in New York. And one of the problems we had to deal with when, when I was on the legislature was there's a there's a cemetery. It's basically unmarked, but it was the poorhouse the Otsego County version of the Poorhouse Cemetery. And there are no records of who's buried there, of, of what happened. And even there's really even no markers on the, of the graves. We just know where it is, basically, because those records have all been lost. Well, yeah, and that's what's happened here. I mean, the, uh, people have this big misconception, and it's very easy to understand why. The, the, the burial grounds, the cemetery, is not part of Rolling Hills any longer. Um, when, the, as I touched upon it a minute ago, the park absorbed a lot of our land. So all that land that that is the park, the Genesee County Park, was originally part of our poorhouse land. And in the park is where Potter's Field is, where mm. it is the huge area of land, and it is unmarked graves. So there are people buried in there in unmarked graves. And wow. so it's really kind of sad. There's no records. There's not even numbers. A lot of poorhouses and poor farms 
um, had at least a numeric system. Right. And, and there is no numeric system on here. I mean, I wish there were at least numbers out there. There isn't. Do we know what they would do with an in? I don't even know what to call patient inmate. I'm not sure what you call them. But do you know inmate. what they, or inmate? What, do you they know call what, them inmate. what would they do with an inmate uh, if it, if the inmate died? Would they give them any kind of ceremonial burial, or was it just you know down and dirty? Because I've read certain, I've read different time periods. Um, there's this one woman in particular. I read a story about her name was Rose Rose Schneider, and she had actually was an abused woman, and she tried to you know tell people about the abuse, and finally nobody was doing anything. She literally stabbed her husband to death, and she came down to the poorhouse. It was around the 19. This is not so late. This is around the 1930s, and. Uh, she ended up being committed here, and she'd live in a room. It was under a staircase, and she could actually – it wasn't even locked. She could go in and out as she wanted to to go to the bathroom, but she accepted her faith that she was committed here. But when she passed away, they gave her a really nice ceremony, and they buried her um, up on top of the hill by the water tower, which was no longer here either. But that's just in the 1900s. In the 1800s, I honestly don't know what they would have done if they would have given you a proper – ceremony or not i would hope i would like to think that people had some sort of um conscious and would you know would, would give you some sort of a nice sending off but i guess it would really depend on how on if it was a tuberculosis bout or spanish flu and people were dying left and right from diseases if there was an abundance of deaths happening at one time i mean who knows i honestly don't know like i said records are so sparse out here as you start to paint this picture it becomes easy to understand how the fuel for paranormal activity could exist in this location. Um, let's talk about that Rose for just a second, because I'm curious. If she stabbed her husband to death, was she uh, a convicted uh, murderer, or was she considered insane and put into the facility? What happened with that? Do we know? The records I, I don't say specifically what her, what her I don't want to say diagnosis, but what would I call that? what her label was. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't really say it. The, what I've been reading about her, this one little story, it doesn't go into, into her legal her legal terms. I guess that's what I should say. It doesn't say her legality terms on that. It just says she was committed here. She lived out her life here. Um, and then they buried her in this really nice ceremony. They put her in a coffin draped with boughs of greenery and a horse-drawn carriage brought her up to the top of the hill and everybody proceeded behind her. And they buried her at the, the top of the hill by a water tower. And again, the water tower's not even here anymore. So, uh, so in, inmates, so inmates could conceivably, conceivably be living right next to a murderess or a murderer or, uh, you know, a criminally insane individual or someone with a very, very infectious disease. They were just kind of all thrown together in a big stew, weren't they? Pretty much so. I, I've, I've also read there's been, uh, there was an era where there was a, uh, a stone, cobblestone, um, building for insane people, for the insanity. And uh, there's no records of where that stone building was. I can't find the footprint of where that stone building was. Um, so, again, I'm having a hard time piecing together for yeah. information here on this property because, sadly, even the, even the historical departments don't have many records of it. I mean, I've spent hours down there looking for information, and it's so, so spotty. Um, 
it's really pretty sad. I would imagine, uh, as we look at the history of this facility, that when you get into the period of the Civil War, so we're talking about 1861 to 1865 or so, and as soldiers uh, came home, many of them maimed, um, and many of them indigent, and they were housed in a facility like this. That must have been an era unto itself for a poorhouse of, of uh, you know, any county, but uh, specifically Rolling Hills. There must have been a lot of Civil War veterans that were put into that facility. From what I understand, yes. And as a matter of fact, I actually found when I first moved here, um, I don't know if you recall, the building was was really a mess. I, I mean, sure there was do, a yeah. lot of stuff stored in here. Yep. And, I mean, it took me two years to clean out the building. Right. But in one of the rooms buried underneath a bunch of debris, I actually found an old Civil War cot. Oh, wow. That's neat. Yeah. It's really pretty amazing. But, yeah, we had a lot of soldiers here. Um, there's one spirit I talked to, and uh, he's lost a limb, his his arm. And when we use dousing rods, he only, use one, he only uses one of the rods to communicate. Oh, wow. It's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know your Civil War history, um, you know, there was you had two options if you were wounded in a Civil War battle. One was to die. The other was to have an amputation generally. And that was, of course, if you were hit in a limb, if you were hitting your body and your torso, you you just did not make it generally. Um, so there yeah, were a lot of. Sol- out, yeah, a lot or, or infection would would you know take you very quickly. Um, you know, so a lot of the Civil War veterans uh, were missing limbs because there was no repairing it, especially in, in the heat of battle. Um, so as we get into the 20th century with Rolling Hills, uh, was there really any change in its use up until the point where it was u- turned into a nursing home? Well, I mean, what is your specific question on that? I guess I, I missed what you asked. I, as, we, as we get into the 20th century, you know, things start to modernize in the 20th century and ideas start to change. Obviously, uh, you know, women's rights became an issue and things started to change. And for, based on the timeline you gave me in the beginning, I didn't really hear any significant change until it became a nursing home in 1964. Was it used essentially for the same purposes uh, throughout the 20th century until that nursing home change? No, 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 no. Um, In 1938, the building that everyone recognizes as being the iconic Rolling Hills building, that was actually built in 1938 as the Genesee County Infirmary, the first hospital for the area. So it became an actual full-on hospital. Um, And so they would would do everything there. They had surgeries. They had, um, you know, people coming in for different sicknesses. Um, There was supposedly shock therapy. And I say supposedly because records, again, or so sparse. Um, it was the era they were doing shock therapy, lobotomies, things of that sort in different facilities, mostly facilities such as hospitals and orphanages and prisons and things like that would do those kinds of um, experiments because people, once they checked into those facilities, they, normally you're at the end of your rope and your family and your friends would wash their hands of you. And if something happened and an experiment went awry, no one's going to go looking for you. Um, in my building, again, there, there aren't any medical records like that showing that happening, but we have gotten, paranormally speaking, the sounds of electrical zapping up there in that particular area where it's supposed to be shock therapy. We've done experiments where people have been, um, spirits have been communicating and being very distraught and upset and yelling at us, telling us to put down instruments that we had used in a, mm. in a pseudo-shock therapy experiment. So I do think they did shock therapy in my building. They probably did lobotomies, to be honest with you. Um, again, records were very sparse, but it was a hospital like that, and things like that were acceptable. I mean, we have a, an area in our building where they would hold tuberculosis patients, and if you know anything about tuberculosis wards, um, they believe that fresh air and sunshine would, was a partial cure or at least some sort of a help 
the people that had tuberculosis. And basically, they would open up the windows and let you sit out in these solariums or rooftop areas where fresh air and sunshine would be all, you know, out there and it was supposed to help you. But they would do it year-round, even in the dead of winter. So oh. you're getting pneumonia. It was really a placebo. A lot of this stuff was just, you know, trial and error. It's so hard to believe and understand that uh, medical science could be so misguided for so long. But then again, they were they were putting leeches on people not that long ago, too. So I suppose it's not that hard to understand. So in 1964, the building is turned into a nursing home. Obviously, another use that um, you know brings a lot of emotion with it and a lot of I would a lot of death, sadly, tragically. Um, but again, this all adds to the idea that there's a recipe for some amazing paranormal activity. Oh, it's so active. And, and and not to go down on the paranormal activity yet, but I just wanted to tell you something really interesting because I'm trying to work on a book. I am working on a book. And I just found an article. Um, if people are familiar with anything to do with Rolling Hills, any of the spirits, there's Nurse Emma. And Nurse Emma, I've been doing research on her specifically, and I, I actually met her great-great-granddaughter and, and so forth. But I just found an article that her brother uh, was put in the nursing home here and he ended up marrying his third wife, who he met here in the nursing home, and he got married to her in our chapel back in the 60s, which oh, is wow. phenomenal yeah. to find that information out. So many, you know, it's just interesting to find out what happened here. So you had trauma, and you had strife, and you had disease, and you had shock therapy, and you've had all kinds of different things that have happened out here, and you had marriages. It's just it's phenomenal to, to read that. It just is. It's hard to wrap my head around it. What year did you say it closed? It closed as a county facility in 74. And then it's empty for 10 years. And then we had Cecil Speakman, who was the first private owner. He owned it for 10 years. Then we had the Bowdeckers who bought the property. And they opened up Carriage Village. And then the uh, they owned it for 10 years. Previous owners to me bought it and opened up an antique mall and a craft mall. And that's when Jason and Grant came out in 2005 and made it famous as a haunted location in 2005. And then I bought it in 2010. um, From the point when it closed to the point where it was purchased and used um, privately, uh, did it just sit empty and just, just dilapidate? What happened to it? It's empty for 10 years after it closed in 74. The county was trying to decide whether or not to make county offices out here and so forth. And the consensus was, I guess, that it was too far away from town, from Batavia. Yeah. So six miles, you know, it's eight, ten miles from town. When the, thought it was too far. when the nursing home closed, was there any controversy that you're aware of? In other words, were patients being mistreated or was the facility, you know, not living up to code or anything like that happening? Um, what I understand is that people were really upset that it closed down. Um, I have happened to run into different people here and there, uh, remembering when the plot place closed down and they were trucking or busing the, the residents over to a new facility in Batavia, and people were crying. You have to remember, the facility out here, if you recall, it's a really pretty beautiful setting. As you said, it's farmland. Yeah. We have deer out yeah. here. There were gardens out here. And people loved it. And to go into a facility in happens to be in Batavia that's set pretty much in a parking lot compared to out here where they could walk the grounds, have fresh air. It was a, a big change for them. As far as abuse goes, um, I couldn't find any records of abuse, but honestly, in most nursing homes, even today, there's stuff happening. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, honestly, not to go down a whole political road here, but the 
the new facility that they, they moved over to into Batavia got sold, and the county ceased to own it about a couple of years ago. It became privately owned, and there's this huge thing going on now where there was a patient recently in this facility that had maggots growing in their wounds. Oh, man. And it's privately. Yeah, I know. So things, I'm sure, happened, but things get swept under the rug. Well, I have to tell you, and I, I won't I won't discuss this really, but I'll tell you that my mother uh, just a few years ago was ill, uh, still very young in her, in her uh, late 60s, but ill and was in a what used to be a county nursing home that became a private nursing home. And there I have, yeah, and I've got uh, stories of abuse directly to my mother. So um, I'm very familiar, familiar with what you're talking about. And it's very, very sad. Sharon, at what point do we know that paranormal activity started to occur at Rolling Hills? Was it while it was open as a facility or did that come after? You know, I, and again, I can only speculate because records are so sparse. Um, I would imagine in my, I'm going to, I'm going to answer this two ways. In my opinion, as a paranormal investigator, there's paranormal activity everywhere. People have been dying for millions of years, right? So I think there's paranormal activity everywhere. As far as documented activity, as far as I can tell, even when Cecil Speakman, who was the first private owner who bought the property in in like the early 80s, and he was living out here by himself trying to remodel the property, he was so afraid of living in the building. At first, it was because the people were breaking in because the building was empty for 10 years, so he was running around with a shotgun. But there's accounts, there's accounts, I know people that knew him, that he was so afraid he started running around with a shotgun and a machete. And I can only imagine what what was happening in there. I imagine that he was probably seeing spirits and couldn't discern if it was a spirit or a human that was running around the building. So he's freaking out, and he's trying to run and chase these interlopers out, and they're disappearing in front of his face. Wow. You know? Wow. I mean, so I think, I mean, I can only imagine, I'm putting pieces together, sure. and, and it's really hard because there are so few documentations, and obviously I don't know anyone that were that was here prior to Cecil, personally. So I don't even know what to say. I mean, as far as the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, I mean, I've run into people in the 60s and 70s that worked here, and they said, oh, I never I never noticed any paranormal activity. But, you know, a lot of times people didn't talk about it. Your religious beliefs didn't want you to believe in it. So what were what was happening out here? Who really knows? I mean, I honestly think there was activity all the time. It doesn't – it's not just like a light switch flipped off and all of a sudden there's activity. People weren't just all of a sudden becoming a ghost or becoming a spirit. So I think I think there was activity out here all the time. I really do. I think people weren't recognizing it. Yeah, and sometimes when or a place when a place quiets down, and, and, and in this case, when it closed and it was no longer used as a facility, the the paranormal activity that may have been going on all along couldn't be explained by other things. You know, when the place is open <laughs> and a door is left open or a light comes on, you know, you, you have other explanations that you can go to. Um, but when those people aren't there and these things are still happening, then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a pretty good idea of why it's happening. Um, exactly, exactly. I actually have friends that work in. In, in facilities today, and they happen to be paranormal investigators, and, and they're like recognizing activity where all their coworkers are just like, oh, I just thought it was a patient leaving the door open, or whatever the case may be. You know, so I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's easier to write off activity when there's human activity involved. Right. Right. What was your introduction to Rolling Hills? Um, I blame it on Dave Schrader, haha, um, and I blame it on him in a good way. Um, I, you know, back in the day, you know, he had all those awesome, awesome events, and I was a paranormal yeah. investigator in California 
you know, trucking around all his great events. And he had an event out here with Jason and Grant in 2008. It was July, uh, June 12th, 13th, and 14th of 2008. And I flew out here because it was on my bucket list. And I uh, had three incredible nights of activity, including Friday the 13th. And uh, it was pretty phenomenal. I mean, full-body apparitions of Roy and all kinds of amazing Class A EVPs. And, you know, I'd been around. I'd been to a lot of different locations and went back to California. And I just could not stop revisiting the evidence from here. And that's how I became in- introduced to Rolling Hills was on a Dave Schrader, uh, Jason and Grant event. And, of course, we're talking about Jason and Grant from the TV show Ghost Hunters, which aired on Sci-Fi from, geez, what was it, 2004 to 2016, I think it was. I mean, yeah, 2016. Yeah, long run. Yeah, long and it run. really introduced a lot of people. That program really introduced a lot of people to the idea of paranormal investigating, and it certainly introduced people to the facilities, the places that we're talking about on this particular program. Um, it, it's funny, though, because I was at all of those Rolling Hills events with Jason and Grant and Dave Schrader, so I'm sure that you and I crossed paths at that point, and I know we've crossed paths since, but it's kind of interesting that we're same place, same time. Um so as Dave Schrader <laughs> gets you to come out to uh, Rolling Hills from across the country, you have an amazing uh, weekend of experiences. You know, there's a lot of uh, distance between that and owning the place. Fill in the gap for us. Oh, my God. I, to this day, I sit here and I scratch. I mean, I'm 10 years in now, 10 years. It's hard to believe. Wow. Um, I sit here and I often scratch my head, and I, I honestly don't know how it happened. Um I had met Stacy Jones um, that weekend as Stacey, well. Yeah, Stacy Jones is another paranormal investigator. She's from the upstate New York area, or she was. I think she's moved. Yeah, I think she's in Florida now. And uh, and I was I would gone back home to California and I was doing my thing. I had a private team of you know we did home investigation, a huge meetup group with about four hundred people. We would do all like historical properties. But anyways, I was really busy. I was in Huntington Beach, loving and liking it out there. And I got a phone call from Stacy. And she goes, oh, my God, are you sitting down? I got really bad news. And I thought she was sick or something, you know. And, and all of a sudden she goes, oh, we, you know, Rolling Hills is closing down. We're not sure what's going to happen to her, if it's going to get torn down or whatever. And she's all upset. And I'm thinking, at that point, I had didn't understand the dynamics out here. But I'm thinking, you know, she's full of it. You know, they're not going to tear down a historical property. Who's going to let that happen? That's crazy. And I kept changing the subject during the conversation. And then all of a sudden I realized she's not joking. And she's really upset. And it was like a lot which went off, and I started literally crying on the phone, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to the property? It's so historical, because as you all know, all these properties are being torn down at a rapid rate, even back then. And, uh, you know, the spirit activity was really an intelligent haunt where they'll call out your name, they'll, you know, they'll answer direct questions. It isn't a residual. It's really an intelligent haunt. And I just had a meltdown on the phone, and it was really to this day, it was a stupid reaction. I have no idea why I had such a strong feeling towards this place. And I got off the phone and with her, and I called my husband at the time, and I'm literally crying as he's answering the phone. He goes, are you in a car accident? What happened? I'm like, no, really, I'm closing the door. going to happen? And he goes, really, I'm working. He hangs up on me. Like, oh, really, boy. bother me over this? <laughs> and at that point then, I was just like, I was hell-bent on nothing could stop me from buying this property. I don't know what it was. I can remember even standing in my, my house on our staircase of upstairs to my bedroom, our bedroom. And I'm shorter than my husband. I'm not married anymore. I'm shorter than him. And I'm standing on the stairs. I can look at my eye and I had him by the shoulders. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't buy this property. Like completely out of my mind. 
like completely out of my mind, like I had to have this property. And I don't know why, honestly, to this day. Um, I don't wish an experience like this on anyone. It's a hard way of life. I love it. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not trying to play a martyr, but it's not what people think. Right. Um, people, oh, I want to have a historical property. It's a lot of work. It's an old building. It's like the money pit. It literally is the money pit. Sure. You try to fix one thing, and it's an onion and 17 other things get in your way from fixing the original issue. I live on the property. It's a 24-7 situation. Um, it's amazing. I The best part of my day is literally when I go in at night for an investigation, and I get to share the history, share the spirit activity, have something happen on the tour or with the people. And I get just excited as excited today as I did when I stepped foot in it in 2008. Um, it blows me away, the activity, the intelligence, um, things that happen there. But the day-to-day stuff, it is a hard, hard way of life. It, it's and cer- people don't understand what it is. Yeah, it certainly is. And I under- I do understand that. And um, uh, when I was a publisher of uh, Taps Para Magazine, uh, we talked about the fact very often that it's people like you, Sharon, deserve a, a great deal of credit for not only um, having a passion for the paranormal, but taking that passion for the paranormal and going into a place like Rolling Hills and saving it from the wrecking ball, saving it for generations to be able to appreciate it, saving it for, for paranormal enthusiasts or historical enthusiasts, whatever it happens to be, because we, you're right, we've lost so many of those places. And this interest in the paranormal thankfully, again, because of people like you, has saved a lot of those places from being uh, removed from forever from the American landscape. Well, thank you for saying that. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword because you have investigators that are like, I'm not paying for an investigation. And then they they get, throw up their arms and are indignant when buildings get torn down or someone turns it into a hotel. Well, you know what? Honestly, Being on this side of the fence, I'd rather see it be made into a hotel than be torn down. At least people are trying to save it, you know. But you can't have it both ways, people. I mean, money doesn't fall out of the sky and land in someone's lap to to be able to put on new roofs or gutters or whatever the case may be. So, yes, we do have to charge money for investigations. I mean, it really kind of sucks. I haven't changed my prices in 10 years, not to go down that road. But I haven't raised my prices but if you go and you buy an apple at the store, I'm sure it's gone up in 10 years. You know right. what I mean? But, um, but you know, people don't understand. It's, it's you got to charge money to be able to keep this place going. And I'm trying to go in other directions to have, you know, I want to have meetings with, with – I actually am having a meeting with my lawyers, my attorneys, trying to figure out what we could do because I'm not going to live forever. I'm not, I'm not a young woman. I hate to say it. I mean, um, I hate to admit it to myself, but, I mean, I've got to – Think about the future when I'm not here anymore. What's going to happen to this building and this property and this history? So I'm looking for help. Anybody wants to have any great ideas on what I can do because I'm not going to go on forever. Yeah. And uh, and when you say, you know, you talk about fixing roofs and, you know, repairing floors and, you know, heating systems or whatever it happens to be, none of that is a bargain. None of that is in any way cheap. And then you take a building the size of Rolling Hills and you really understand how, how daunting of a task it is. So again, you're to be commended for your, your commitment and your passion for what we're talking about tonight. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this segment on the program is to start bringing these, some of these places to the forefront so that people are aware of them. And, and I'll ask this question now, even though I was going to save it for later, if someone wanted to help, um, you know, but they, they don't, can't necessarily get there to take a tour. Uh, is there a way they can do that? 
Absolutely. Yeah, we do have a GoFundMe account. I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm, I hate to sound like this. It's really kind of sad. No, I don't have anyone that ever really donates to the GoFundMe account. Um, I'm not nonprofit. I guess that kind of puts a red flag on people. And I don't go nonprofit at this point. And I'm, I'm thinking about changing it, honestly. But the reason why I don't is because you have to have a board of directors. And I'm always afraid that I'm going to get right. outvoted on my plans here, right. which is kind of sad. You know, I mean, I kind of like the autonomy where I can make all the decisions. I'm a Scorpio, so that's probably why. But, um, but you know, I mean, you can contact me through the website, through Facebook. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of different ways. Um, just even manual labor, you know, to help clean up things, even the land. Um, anything is really helpful because it's hard. I mean, I, I do it myself with the help of other people, but I don't have, I don't have a husband, and I'm not crying on anyone's shoulders. All my choices, people. I'm not crying on anyone's shoulder. I don't have a husband. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a you know anybody. I'm five foot two. I'm vertically challenged. For God's sake, I can only <laughs> lift so much. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for help, and uh, you know, I'm very willing and, and able to have people help me. And and I'm not too proud. I learned a long time ago. You have to have help. It's a, it takes a village. But this property is amazing. I really really love it. Um, I can't imagine being anywhere else. I mean, it is a strange way of life. But um, it's pretty amazing. It really is an amazing property. Really? But, you know, I'm really glad. I'm sorry. I'm going to just go off for one quick second. I'm glad you're doing the show because even people in Batavia, oftentimes I'll run into them and I'll have a T-shirt on or something. And like, oh, where is that? I'm like, you're kidding me. It's six miles down the road. Oh, I didn't even know that place was open 10 years in. Wow. And people in my own backyard don't even understand what I'm doing out here. And the worst part is a lot of people only think of me as the ghost hunting place where I do do a lot of focus on the history. I do a historical tour all the time. Um, on Before every single ghost hunt, there's a mini historical tour. I focus on historical tours um, where you can just buy a historical tour. I have school groups that come out and actually have given me proclamations for keeping the history alive from, like, North Tonawana School District. I've had colleges come out, Narn Academy, Alfred University, and I have these colleges and, and, and high schools that work with me on a regular basis, but it's not enough. I really need to have more of those historical um, classes and in, in focusing on, on keeping this Genesee County history alive. And I can't do it alone, and I need people to help advocate for me and for this property. Rolling Hills uh, made its debut, if you will, in, in the paranormal consciousness, at least nationally, through Ghost Hunters. And what year did you say it was 2005? Right, 2005. And since then, it's been featured on many, many programs. What's what's the resume, resume look like for uh, television shows, documentaries, whatever? Uh, I know it's been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, gosh. Well, obviously, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Paranormal Challenge, Aftershocks. Ghost Asylum. Um, what else have we had? Oh, we've had Haunted, uh, Haunted USA, Legendary Locations. Uh, American Horror Story came out and used it as a film location. We've had music videos. Uh, I worked with the Booth Brothers. We did a, mo- a documentary called The Haunted Boy. It's now called The Exorcist File. We used it as a film location. Um, a lot of stuff, uh, newspaper articles were always on the top 10 or 15 or 20 most haunted locations around the world. We've had 25 Russian press come out here and do a press junket from Russia, which was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, I'm very blessed that people recognize Rolling Hills. I, I mean, honestly, it's my life. Um, I love it. I love the, I love the spirits here. Um, 
I love the history here. It's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting way of life. I noticed on your website, which by the way, uh, the website is rollinghillsasylum.com, dot com. I noticed on the website, you know, you have a scrolling uh, slideshow. I guess you call it on the on the homepage. Uh, there's a red marker, and I think the the, the description of the red marker said something about only this is one of what two. I mean, there weren't many um, markers that have been awarded. Tell us what that red marker signifies. Um, the red one is actually donated from the William G. Pomeroy Foundation and the Folklore Society of New York, and they honored the supernatural activity here. That was uh, given to us, I think, about four or five years ago now, and I'm sure there's been more awarded across the state at this point. But at the time, um, we were the only property in the state of New York with two historical markers, the original blue marker that was again donated by the William J. uh, Pomeroy Foundation honoring the opening of the poorhouse. And then we got the second one donated that was in conjunction with the Folklore Society. They actually validated, as I said, the supernatural activity here, which is pretty great. Sharon, I've given the web- website out a couple of times. If people wanted to call and get information, is that possible, too? Um, yeah, we have just a voicemail system, so you have to leave a message. It's 585-502-4066. It's just a voicemail. You leave a message, and I can call you back. Please leave a number. I do call everybody back. Terrific. Uh, let's talk about some of the specific paranormal activity. And I'll preface this by saying that on uh, the many occasions that I've spent investigating at Rolling Hills, I have actually caught some of the most impressive evidence that I've ever caught. And I've done this a lot. And I am the biggest skeptic as well. I mean, I've got to really see something that's going to impress me before I get impressed. And Rolling Hills has delivered that. So having said that, give us an idea of some of the things that either you yourself, Sharon, have witnessed or experienced, or maybe some of your guests have experienced. I I, I don't even know where to begin. It's really insane. You need to come out again, by the way. You haven't been out so long. It's just crazy. I do. Um, everything from full body apparitions, shadow people, people being touched, um, the screaming lady, EVPs that are, like I said, class A and intelligent, where they'll actually answer your questions, um, doors opening and closing. I mean, the, the photos that people catch in this building, and I'm not talking orbs, I'm talking full body apparitions where you can see shirts, ties, glasses on the people. Uh, it, the stuff that, and with cell phones, taken with cell phones, uh, it's just phenomenal. And it's all the time. It's all the time. Um, if I have a group that comes in, you know, I do a lot of the public hunts, and someone comes in and says nothing happening, I'm like, listen to your EVPs. Because people, that's the problem. People watch movies and they expect the girl from the ring to come out, tip her head, you know, <laughs> yeah, turn right. around and spew green vomit like on, on the exorcist. <laughs> it doesn't always happen that way, unfortunately, you know. But I can almost guarantee, and I I say almost because my look, if I say yes, absolutely every time, I'm going to be wrong one time. But I would say almost every single time you will get EVPs if you record audio. Like at least, at the very least, you'll get class A EVPs. Um, the place is, is crazy. I mean, I've been around the block. I've been to a lot of different locations. And, you know, there's towns where stuff just doesn't happen. And it's not because the place isn't haunted. It ebbs and flows, you know. But I can almost guarantee that every single time something is going to happen out here. And I hate to say it like that because I'm just promoting my own building. But it's the God's honest truth. Yeah. I mean, I have people that come in and they're like, even during the day, like, it's crazy. I Just a sidebar, I had a problem with um, – my barbershop chair got broken, and I had a welder come in during the day, and I'm taking a video of the guy welding it because I'm all excited because I'm getting it fixed. 
And right before he started welding, I turned it on, and the barber came in and went, hello. Like, come on. Wow. You know, it's like it's all the time. I had um, three, four people in the building one night, and this couple was way down the bottom of the east wing by the ba- in the basement at the chapel, all way up in the 1938 side of the building in the infirmary by shock therapy with this man and his daughter. And we're the only four of the only five people total in the building. And in the hallway down around the corner from us was a wheelchair and a walker. And all of a sudden, the three of us heard loud, loud foot shoveling, shuffling. It sounded like someone had gotten up out of the wheelchair and the metal feet grates had been kicked aside. And like someone had taken a stack of files and thrown them on the floor and then footsteps running away. And I literally grabbed the guy. Now, I'm not afraid of spirits. I thought somebody broke in. Because I knew those other right. people were way the hell down the chapel. I grabbed the guy, the poor guy. Thank God I found out later he was a sheriff. We didn't care if I grabbed him. But I'm like, oh, my God. And so we went out and looked, and nothing had been moved. There weren't any papers on the floor. The wheelchair and the, gir- and the walker were in the exact same position. Nobody around. We literally went running. Not running. But we went looking for those other people, and they were still down the chapel. They couldn't even hear us until they we were coming into the rec room. And they're like, why? What happened? I'm like, oh, my God. You didn't hear any of this? No, we've been down here all this whole time. Wow. So stuff like that happens all the time. It's crazy. Yeah, and you've been able to actually, through your research and, and uh, even your spirit communications, you've been able to identify who and what some of these spirits are. Give us some of the names. Well, there's, of course, Roy Krause. He's our seven-and-a-half-foot shadow man. He's really amazing. Um, he was born 1890, March 4th. We have a big birthday party for him every year and died in 1942. There's Nurse Emma. Um, Emma Allwart, if you go down Bethany Center Road and go up over the hill, it changes to Allwart Street or family homes down the road. That's the one I just mentioned. I found out that her brother was here in the nursing home and got married. Um, there's Maud. Aunt Maud. Um, she was the head cook in the 30s, uh, 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, there's George Fleming. He was the superintendent. Again, it was more in the uh, more recent times in the 20s and 30s and 40s in that, that era. But he was instrumental in getting the uh, the forest replanted um, in the in the uh, the park, um, all kinds of I mean all these people. There's Raymond. Um, there's a little girl named Elizabeth. There's people we don't know a lot about them. There's Ben Ben White. Ben White I think is related to Phoebe White, who was our first resident who ever checked in here. She was seven years old, and so she came in in 1827. I think Ben was her father. There's a long story behind that. Um, but we've talked to him in the morgue. There's a man named Scarzi who's Italian. He used to hang out in the tunnels. We had a huge tunneling system that connected all the outbuildings together. And he used to weave baskets in there. And he speaks Italian. Um, it's just, it's there's so many people. There's, there's a lot I call flybys where we don't know their names. They just throw out comments. Um, but it's just, there's so many people. So many people. Why do you think a facility like that, and I, I kind of know the answer to this myself, but I want to hear your version of the answer. Why do you think a facility, facility like that retains so many um, spirits, if you will, of those who have moved on? Why would they stay there versus going somewhere else? I Honestly, you think I have an answer? I don't have an answer. <laughs> um, I, I don't have an answer, honestly, because in my experience, I think spirits come and go. I think you have an ability to come and go. I, you know, if you're, I don't think people get stuck like they think people get stuck. That's my personal opinion. Um, but I think people can come and go. I think oftentimes people stay in places because they're familiar with them. 
Um, they have good memories by them. Maybe they have unfinished business. There's that whole typical story of that. I think it has something to do with ley lines. I think it has something to do with um, us going in there and keeping not keeping them there, but communicating with them, which means they want to keep coming back because they have someone that has a voice. I think there's a lot to do with um, parallel universes. Um, I think it has to do with interdimensional beings. I think there's a lot. I think it's a bigger. I think there's, that's another whole show. Do you really? Yeah, I was going to say. I do think, you realize that you just outlined the material for about five other shows? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we have pictures of aliens in the building. Um, I think there's. I really do think there's stuff with parallel universes. Um, you know, I'm going to touch upon something that you didn't even ask. I love the fact that we go in there and we get evidence. I love the fact that you can go at the Queen Mary or a cemetery or whatever and get EVPs and photos or whatever. But at this point in my life as a paranormal investigator, who gives a shit? Sorry, don't mean to be like that. Well, I want to know why and how that's happening. Uh, why right. aren't we advancing those things more? Yes, we get pictures. Yes, we get them through spirit box. Yes, we do. But what is actually going on? No one is. We're not working together as a community. People cry paranormal unity all the time. That is not the case. Yeah. I'm sorry. It is not happening. People like to use that term and throw it out there and be all altruistic, but it's not happening. We're not really advancing. We're not doing the research. We really are not doing the research. Yes, we're getting evidence. Yes, there's cool equipment out there. But we're not finding out really what's happening. I think the government knows more than what we know, and they're not sharing it. Um, I just think there's – we're, we're really not advancing this field like we could. And I don't have the answers. I'm not a scientist. I'm not smart enough to have those answers either. But there's got to be more going on. I think there's parallel universes, parallel dimensions. I think the light – you know, the different light spectrums, the different frequencies. But we're not – there's something going on that we're not – we're missing a piece of the puzzle to be really able to track this stuff. It's awesome getting EVPs. It's awesome talking to these people. But why? Why is this happening? Right, right. And where is, and where is it going? And what does it really mean? We're not, we're not there. We're scratching the surface again. We're all running around getting this cool stuff, and that's all that's happening at this point. And it's frustrating to me as an owner because I have this hotbed here, and I should have a whole real scientific research team here, not just a bunch of investigators. They're really scientific people. They have big brains on people that I don't have. I can't make equipment. I'm not smart enough in those capacities to be able to do that. But we've got all these really great locations around the country that have consistent activity, and we're not really learning anything. We're not really – we're not. We're not. And yeah, I'm no, it's a great point. It's a, it's a great point, and a lot of, a lot of us share that frustration. Um, with all the activity you've had there, and you're there 24-7, and I know you said that spirits don't scare you, that you know, paranormal activity doesn't scare you, um, but apart from the fact that you know, there was an instance where you thought you had an intruder, or maybe other times when you thought you've had intruders, have you ever felt threatened by any of the paranormal activity that's going on, not just at Rolling Hills, but anywhere? Um, I won't say I've felt threatened here or anywhere. I have a healthy respect for the paranormal. I mean, I'm smart enough to know if they can slam a door or roll a ball, they can pick you up and throw you down a flight of stairs. That doesn't happen on a usual basis. It really doesn't. It takes a lot of energy for somebody to do something like that. Um, and also, you know, they have to be pretty angry. And the whole demon situation, don't even get me going on that because I think demons are rarer than winning the Powerball. 
uh, six times on one person's lifetime. I think that word is so overused. It's I'm sorry. Say that. Say that again. It was a little a little garbled. You said what about demons? Oh, sorry. See, I think the word demon is so overused yeah, yeah. And, and used incorrectly. Right. I think there are good people and bad people and good spirits and bad spirits. I think labeling everything that happens as a demon is is doing everyone a disservice. Um, Charles Manson, a horrible human being. Hitler, a horrible human being. I would. They're not demons. They're horrible. Right. And there's evil people, but they're not demons. So I think throwing that word out there is really doing a disservice to our community. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, I mean, I have a healthy respect for the paranormal. Um, I'm aware that, you know, things could go sideways at any given point because um, we don't know what we're dealing with a lot of the times. We're, we're assuming a lot that they're, 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 they're people like you and I, whether are different levels of mental capacity or whatever. But we honestly don't know. Going back to the whole other dimensions, parallel universes, we don't know what we're dealing with. The bottom line is we really don't know. We're all hypothesizing what it could be. Um, so I have a healthy respect. So if I feel uneasy, I, I, I listen to my gut feeling and I walk away. Does it mean I'm scared? No, it means my spidey sense is up right. and I need to be awake, you know? I mean, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. Um, I haven't been terrified. I think I'm more, you know, I was more terrified. I had eye surgery yesterday. I was more terrified <laughs> laying on that damn table than I am in my building or going ghost hunting, yeah. you know, with a knife coming out my eye. I mean, I was terrified. Sure. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but as far as paranormal stuff goes, I think that you have to use your common sense. I think you need be, to be respectful. Um, I think going in and doing... I know people that go in and do, not in my place, I don't allow it, but they'll do ceremonies or rituals or Ouija boards or whatever. And I think that if you have to do those things, there is an activity or enough activity or the right activity for you there anyways. You're not, you're not going into a building, a building, and doing a ritual to, an, to stir up the activity there. You're, you're doing a ritual to bring in activity from something else. So I think it's a whole mixed bag. I don't know. I'm going down another whole line of topics just because I just saw something recently that got me upset. But um, we're rolling. Hill- I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. We're, I don't know how to answer that. Where Rolling Hills is located um, in Western New York, it seems to be a bit of a hotbed for paranormal and spiritualist activity. Obviously, the Fox sisters are from that general area. You've got Lilydale not far away. Right. A lot of activity at Rolling Hills or other um, sites around that area that have have uh, paranormal activity. Is there something special about that area that, that fuels this? I honestly I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I know where I'm sitting, um, we're sitting on a high salt table. Is that something to do with it? Um, you've got in different locations, you've got, uh, the Queen Mary or you've got, um, the USS Hornet sitting in bodies of water, salt activity, water conduit. I don't know. I think there's too many different, um, variables that you could use to correlate things. Um, I don't know. I think that that, that's what we should be researching. What's going on with the history, Native American land, of course. Um, is there something to do with the geographical makeup? Is there something to do with, um, I don't know. I think that that's another way of of looking and and investigating things that people really need to look at, the ley lines, and correlate all of that. We have a lot of um, UFO sightings out here. I'm on the MUFON website a lot, and New York State gets a lot of UFO sightings. So what is that about? Right. You know, I mean, there's so many different components to the paranormal or to the unknown 
the people aren't aren't putting them all together. I, I wish we had more of a collaborative event of really big brains on people, the educated scientists um, that could actually come out and work together. But we're so poo-pooed because, you know, we're just labeled a bunch of crazies talking to ourselves <laughs> in the dark, you know. Um, obviously, obviously, folks can uh, uh, schedule a ghost hunt, do that. Uh, but you have a lot of special events that you do uh, at Rolling Hills as well. Give us an idea of a couple of the things that you have might have coming up and then how people can uh, keep track of your calendar. So if something pops up that fits in their schedule, they could uh, participate. Well, I have stuff going on on a regular basis. Yes, we are open in the winter. Yes, it is cold. You have to dress like you're snowmobiling. There is no heat in the building. And it's normally about 10 degrees colder in the building than outside in the winter. So keep that in mind. Wear boots because your feet will freeze. Um, but we are open year-round. We have a lot of public hunts. Some of the special events, we have a, a Valentine's Day, um, Valentine's Night hunt coming up. We have um, Roy's birthday coming up, a big uh, birthday thing on for his night. Um, that's March 4th. I have giveaway nights in the winter to lure you out here so you get a free T-shirt. Um, we have the Ghost Asylum guys, Tennessee, Tennessee Race Chasers, coming out June 5th and 6th. Uh, the 6th is sold out, but we have June 5th. We have dinners with a ghost. Um, we have art classes that we, we call Painting with the Spirits, where we couple it with an, uh, a ghost hunt. Um, a lot of stuff coming up. I'm talking to Chad Moran about doing some stuff out here, talking with Brian Cano about coming back out and doing another event out here. There's a lot of stuff happening. I just don't have the website updated yet because I'm waiting on some Jason, some people. But there's constantly stuff going on out here. If you have an idea for an event, talk to me about it. We do movie nights projected above a casket, horror movie nights. That's always fun. Um, but, yeah, you can go to rollinghillsasylum.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, Instagram, I'm a little bit laxed on. But, yeah, we're on Instagram. We're on the, on the normal stuff. Usually Facebook you can find us on, though, the official Rolling Hills Facebook page. Um, there's a lot going on. And, uh, yeah, come out and see us. There's a lot of activity. You don't have to have a lot of good equipment. Use your cell phone. Um, you get great pictures, EVPs with your cell phone, believe it or not. Um, I sell equipment, but, you know, don't waste your money on equipment, guys. Come out, try it right away, try it with your cell phone, and then see what you like. I mean, you don't have to drop a bunch of money. I still, think the best, good I still think the best equipment is your ears and your eyes, frankly. And uh, like you exactly. said, a cell phone can, can do most of what you need done if you really want to document something. But ears and eyes are the most important. Exactly. I always tell people, pay attention to your body. You may feel them touching your hair, touching in your clothes. You're going to hear things, whispers, footsteps, a screaming lady. Um, you may smell things. We have a lot of phantom smells in the building um, and stuff that should not be happening. Full on, like roses and flowers or the smell of soot, like there was just a fire. And that usually happens in our kitchen, which is interestingly enough where the men's dorm was that burnt down. So sometimes people smell that. And we have a cinder block and cement building, so it's not, like, absorbed into wood. Right. You know? It's really interesting. Yeah, I always tell people your body's your best tool. I, You know, I have – I can't even tell you all the equipment that I have. But I oftentimes I would just go out and sit in the hallway by myself and just sit there. And that's the best part, you know, when you hear things, hear your voice being called, hear footsteps, seeing the things. Um it's amazing property, and there's a lot of great activity around in a lot of different locations. I've been very fortunate to be able to go around the country, and there's activity everywhere. I mean, there's activity in your house, I'm sure. Um, doesn't mean you should investigate your house. Don't do that. But, <laughs> um, you know, but there's activity everywhere. People are everywhere. Spirits are everywhere. 
aware of them. Right. Listen to them. Listen to your gut. Listen to what's happening. Um, I wish my my wish is my wish is that we could really pull together real full on educated scientific personnel and really get it, get them to pay attention to what we're doing. I would say out here in the community and really try to go on the next step rather than just you know gathering great video and photos and EVPs, we need to figure out what we're dealing with. And we're not doing that. We think we are, we're not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wish we could all work together. You know, you're a great conduit for this, JV. You really, you know, everybody in the community, we should really start putting together some sort of a board with these other locations and your resources and really try to do something. Because what are we, 20, 25 years in now being an active community and yeah. we're really not getting very far. Yeah, great point. Well, Sharon, that's all the time we've got for us tonight, but thank you so much for joining me. And uh, once again, the website is rollinghillsasylum.com. You're on Facebook, other social media. Best of luck with the property. I can't wait to get back there, and thanks for being with me tonight. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was lovely talking with you. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.
All right, Sharon Coyle with uh, Rolling Hills Asylum. And uh, we're going to go to break here, and we'll be back in just a minute to wrap things up. It's Beyond Reality.